but there was there was a young woman. It's an Islamic region, so most of the women they have their heads covered. They're wearing long dresses or skirts. And this student, she was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. She looks like like you would find her at a mall here, or just you know, at a high school here. And so I just asked. I said, "What's what's different about you? Why don't you look like everyone else?" And she told me the story about how five years earlier she'd gotten pregnant from her boyfriend. Um, and in their culture, the man basically decides how involved or uninvolved they are. You don't go to court. And so this man decided he didn't want to support her or her child or his child at all, financially, physically, emotionally. So he just left. Now she was a single mother in an Islamic culture, which is a very shame-based culture. Um, so she was actually looked at as lower than. And she just said, my culture doesn't appreciate me. They don't value me. Why should I try to adhere to their standards? And that's when the Lord gave me the words of Jesus says you're to be loved and honored and respected because of who he says you are, not because of who your culture, your society. Welcome to the God Makes New podcast. My name is Dane Deutschman, your host and creator of the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Mitch Hennen. Mitch is a missionary to an Islamic region in Africa, and I'd like to interview Mitch and talk about how he got into missions and what his mission is all about, the organization he's with, and, and how that all works. So, Mitch, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited uh, to be able to have you on. I think missions are something that's really important. A lot of us can't go overseas for whatever reason, and uh, you know, and, and so we support missionaries. We try to support missionaries and, and we love doing so. You know, I, I know you personally. We worked together at a church in the past. And so uh, it's really exciting for me to see the kind of the path that you've taken to get into missions. Um, so I'll just I'll kind of kick it over to you and let you describe. Um, maybe we can just start with what what drew you to actually not just go on a mission trip, but to actually go over and live um, in another country and do missions? Yeah, honestly, it was just, um, being obedient to God's call. Um, in back in 2012, uh, I went through a divorce that really ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because it helped me to evaluate where I was in life. It helped me to, um, really look at what was important to me. And it ultimately brought me back to the Lord. I, I got saved through that. Um, praise the Lord. Uh, my ex-wife actually got saved a few years later. Um, but, but, but yeah, after I got saved in 2013, one of the first things I heard from the Lord was, uh, go finish your degree. Um, I had dropped out of college, um, you know, 20 years ago or so. And, uh, yeah, I just, I was in the process of finishing my degree in psychology and I was really praying about what's next. Uh, I knew the job that I had in finance wasn't my purpose. It wasn't where God had called me. I was praying about what was next. Um, you know, do I go into social work? Uh, 
you know, a master's in, in the psychology field or a new career. And I happened to be on a short-term trip. Um, and up to that point, all I was hearing from God was wait, just keep going, wait. And it was actually on that short-term trip that I heard, this is what's next. You're going to graduate. You're going to move to Africa. You're going to become a teacher here at this school. Wow. <laughs> so did you yeah, know about was, any of this before that then, or was that a total miraculous message? Um, you know, looking back, you can see how God prepares you for certain things or how he's lining things up. But um, in the moment, it was out of left field. It was, um, I felt God give me a heart for Africa and a heart for, for short-term trips. And I really felt like I would be returning to Africa maybe on a yearly basis or every few years um, on trips. Um, never did I imagine that I would be moving there. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was, a it, it was a shocking, uh, call and I, I argued, I argued with God. I said, God, how this is an Islamic region. Uh, I'm divorced. I've, I've struggled with, with addiction in my past. I've, I've got, you know, all these things that I say disqualify me. How am I going to represent you and a good Western Christian to this Islamic region? And actually through that trip, uh, God showed me how he could use me. And it was actually at the school they run. Uh, it's an English school that's ages 15 plus, uh, majority 15 to 25. But there was, there was a young woman. Uh, she was 25 years old at the time. She, and it, it's an Islamic region. So most of the women, they have their heads covered. They're wearing long dresses or skirts. Their arms are covered. And, and this student, she was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. She looks like, like you would find her at a mall here, just, you know, at a high school here. And so I just asked, I said, what's, what's different about you? Why don't you look like everyone else? And she told me the story about how five years earlier, she'd gotten pregnant from her boyfriend. Um, and in their culture, the man basically decides how involved or uninvolved they are. You don't go to court and so this man decided he didn't want to support her or her child or his child at all, financially, physically, emotionally. So he just left. Now she was a single mother in an Islamic culture, which is a very shame-based culture. Um, so she was actually looked at as lower than, you know, you have a married woman, maybe a a single woman and then a widow or a div or divorced or a single mother is kind of like the lowest rung as far as the social status goes. And she just said, my culture doesn't appreciate me. They don't value me. Why should I try to adhere to their standards? And that's when the Lord gave me the words of Jesus says you're to be loved and honored and respected because of who he says you are, not because of who your culture or your society says you are. And he actually showed me that earlier in the midst of my divorce, when I got saved, he told me I needed to treat my ex-wife as I should have when we were married. I need to treat her with love and honor and respect because she's a child of God, not be, not based on how I think I should treat her, the courts or my family and friends. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was great to see that come full circle and 
to see not only how that statement uh, that you're loved and honored and respected because of who Jesus says you are not only helped uh, my parenting relationship with my ex-wife, but it also helped me to speak to this woman living in the shame-based culture who felt less than because of her social status. Sure. You were able to speak to her personally, you know, from your own heart, from your own experience. Yeah. And that's when I really felt the spirit say, that's why I want you here is so that my people can know who I say they are. And that's when I said, okay, all right, I'm in. So when, so what does I'm in actually mean? You know, does that mean, did you know what that meant at the time I'm in? (laughs) Well, it meant I knew when I got home, I was going to apply to, to this organization that I was going to be going to training and quitting my job and uh, my job in finance that, like I said, was, um, I knew it wasn't my purpose, but it was very comfortable. It was close to home. It was, you know, financially, it was very good for me. Um, and I also knew that I would be fundraising for the first time in my life, other than, you know, like a school for scouts or for uh, a sport or band, you know, like, like real fundraising. Um, and I'd never done any fundraising or sales before. And that mm-hmm. was a little intimidating. But yeah, yeah, it that basically be... meant a, a life change. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So now can we talk about the organization that you're a part of, or is that something we need to kind of keep uh, confidential? Yeah, we can. So the organization um, I work for, or the organization I'm a part of is Live Dead. Okay. And that's a part of a greater uh, church organization. Um, but Live Dead focuses on spreading the gospel to unreached people groups. And mm-hmm. an unreached people group is if um, there's a certain percentage, like less than 2%, I believe, of this of this people group um, has access to the gospel naturally mm-hmm. without okay. outside inter- without outside uh, help or interference. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there's a church the Islamic, in the region already that, that serves 2% of the people or um, something. Sometimes there is a church, uh, okay. many regions, there's not a church, um, either mm-hmm. there's, there can be a national church that either isn't actively evangelizing this, these people groups because of separation of religion or, Maybe there's places like uh, like China or Russia where there's really government suppression of religion, and there, if there is a church, it's an underground house based church where um, it really has to start from the ground up and, and and sort of spread. And so yeah, without without outside help as far as teachings, discipleship, sharing the gospel, providing Bibles, providing materials. Uh, trying to provide uh, education, uh, like for pastoral or Bible studies, um, really all of these things. But Live Dead really starts at the base level of just sharing the gospel, getting house churches started, and depending on what's available already in the region or in in that location, um, using those resources and trying to get people either plugged in to a church or really planting a church and then getting small groups of believers connected over time and building that, that foundation of, of faith. Okay. So then when you go into a a country like that, 
<clears throat> you are going in as a missionary sometimes, or is it always, is there some other uh, service that you offer the country? In your case, I think you're teaching something, right? So is that kind of like, how does that work? Um, Cause you know, like normally with like a, a, a short term mission, at least in my experience, you go for a week or two and it's an already established um, uh, mission where there are missionaries, they're living there. It's like a organization, but sometimes it's a school or sometimes it's a project where they're helping the community build uh, facilities like buildings or whatnot. So in your case, it's, it's teaching English or. Yes. Um, often in these countries or in these regions that uh, we would say are hostile to the gospel. And by that, that, that doesn't always mean direct persecution. It just means they don't want the gospel coming there, um, whether it's government or religious suppression. Um, in these regions, we usually have a visa job or, you know, like your, your day job. Um, so ours is we run an English center. So we were English teachers. Um, we're, we're real teachers. We you know, study and, and teach classes. Okay. Um, we get certified to teach English as a foreign language. Uh, but other regions can be coffee shops. Um, there's also a big move for BAM, which is business as missions, hmm. where people go into a region or a country with a real job, with real experience, where they actually set up, um, whether it be architecture, consulting, um, video production, computer uh, science work, um, hmm. where you're, you're doing a real, you know, normal job, but that's sure. what gets you in the door to be able to then in your off hours hmm. to plant the church, to have, you know, evangelize, to start Bible studies. Okay. And so does it usually start with a Bible study then, like in a home? Uh, so in, in my region, um, yes. Okay. That's that's our, our goal is to we talk to people about Jesus. We um, it's actually very nice that based on their their Islamic culture, they're very open to speaking about spiritual matters. They mm -hmm. uh, they don't shy away from it like in America, where some people yeah. just don't want to talk religion at all. Um, yeah. They're very open to it. And even when they're not, they're very gracious about it. They'll they'll hear you out. Wow. Um, so, yeah, we talk to people about Jesus. We we. Mm -hmm bring up similarities or mm -hmm. bring up things we know about Islam. Like one thing we'll often say is, you know, what are you doing to get your sins forgiven? Because Islam is a very works-based religion and to use examples or to use um, similarities and then to admit that, Hey, like I can never, I can never fully get my sins forgiven on my own I, through my own works. Um, and then to to make a statement like I have assurance that I'm going to heaven, because in their culture they they don't know. They, it's more like the scales fifty fifty. You know, do I do fifty one percent good? Well, then I'm going to paradise. If I do fifty one percent bad, then I'm going to hell. And so for someone to say I have the assurance I'm going to heaven really piques a lot of interest. Um, and that's when we invite people to study. Uh, we, Hey, do you want to, you know, I, I can get you a Bible. Um, would you want to study it together? And yeah, we get a, a lot of interest and then it's kind of weeding out. All right. Who's trying to practice English? Who wants an American friend? Who's really serious about this? Who's just curious? 
Um, but we try to cast a wide net and then kind of narrow it down once we get in the studies. All right, who's really interested? Who's really in? Who's the Holy Spirit working on? And to really focus on discipling those people, even though we may still have a, a Bible study of five or 10 people, everyone's welcome. But we want to focus our time on those that are actually on the good soil. Goal is to find those, you know, those few people that God is preparing to become leaders um, for his kingdom in their region. Because just the simple fact is that they are going to be way more effective at reaching their people group than we are. They understand the, the language fully. They understand the culture fully. Um, you know, we we try to learn all these things, but it's not native to us. We don't understand all the nuances of culture, what's what's okay and what's not. Um, you know, the language, I can, you know, I study the local language and I can share the gospel in it, but it probably sounds like a five or a seven-year-old sharing it. Um, and to try and decipher, all right, this is an Islamic culture. Even if I learn some Christian words, are they going to understand them? Um, what, like, how would I say that to this culture, to this people group in a way that would be meaningful and really, sure. um, reach them and also convey the importance of the scripture that I'm trying to share. See, that's really fascinating to me is that, um, cross cultural, uh, there's a name for it, and I can't think of the name right now, but it's when you translate from a concept from within Christianity over to another culture in their language. And it could be anything. It could, it's the imagery that it creates uh, that they're used to, that like, you can associate with a Christian concept or theological um, teaching. Um, so you said how, how much of the world, so how, how many people groups, do you know this? How many people groups in the world are unreached right now at this point? Um, I don't have the number in front of me, but I know it's between it's estimates are around 40 to 42% of the world's wow. population. So here's something. Um, does, yeah. For, so for anyone that basically says, um, you know, we're in the end times and, and whether we're, whether or not we're in the end times, I don't know for sure. I mean, we are in the last days, right? Ever since, uh, the church was, uh, instituted in the first century, Jesus said, right? Jesus said, um, you will preach to all nations across the world and then the end will come. Well, 42% and, and that's just people groups is what you go by, not necessarily nations, right? Cause, cause in the Bible, nations, uh, were different and and would have had a meaning more along the lines of people groups. Um, so when we look at it today with all of the different people around the world, um, we try to evangelize or uh, uh, make disciples out of different people groups around the world. So 42%, you know, I would have thought it would be a lot higher than that. But uh, is that what it is? 40, 42% of the world's population has not heard the gospel. That's That's the statistic that I had. So anyway yes yeah and that's a good point about the people groups because within a nation there can be you know group uh small people groups or huge um you know just i think of china like we just think of chinese people well how many different cultures different small uh, dialects or languages how many different um, people groups are actually in the huge country of china yeah. Um, 
And so for a, for an evangelist to be the most effective, they would need to learn that specific culture, that specific language, um, mm-hmm. live with those people and, and do life with those people. And so that's what Live Dead is really trying to do is to get to all these people groups, mm. uh, not just all right, we've got one team in this country, mm-hmm. one team in this country. No, mm-hmm. we want to hit all the people groups in that yeah. country to be able to to really um, effectively share the gospel on a meaningful level with them in an, in an authentic way. Yeah, because it's a, it's a subculture. You know, those people groups are a culture within a culture, right? And I think about just, um, you know, the different subcultures at the turn of the century in America where you had the Germans and... You had the Italians, right? And and those are different subcultures. So, and even still to today, you, you have that same thing. People tend to stick together. I remember a story of my ancestry where my ancestry were Prussians that were brought into Russia to teach the Russians how to farm, but they stayed within their own group. And the Russians ended up not really liking the Germans and the Germans didn't like the Russians. So they just stayed in their own people group. They didn't branch out like he wanted them to. And so it wasn't effective, but um, just to your point about subcultures, uh, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of how that tends to work. Yeah. And that's, um, I did have the opportunity to um, teach a, teach a class to some local pastors um, before I, before I left my last term, um, in Africa. And one of the things, um, not only was it great to make those connections and to, to really, uh, really gain those friendships of these, these local pastors, um, who, when I say local pastors, they're actually not from that region. They've moved there to build the church, to set up the church. And, um, we work, we work in partnership with them, but not directly. Um, we don't want, you know, the government to see that we're always together, but we, we do want to partner and help each other um, with not only resources, but when we have a convert to, all right, do they want to get pastored by or um, discipled by a, a local uh, from from that country who understands the, the culture and language a lot more than we do? Um, are they afraid to because then they'll be seen with a, you know, it's a lot different to be seen with a, a foreigner than to be seen with a, a local pastor or a local Christian. Um, but also to try and really work with these pastors on how are you reaching your community? You know, you you live and work and live life in this Islamic culture where your kids are going to school with, with Islamic kids. You're, you're buying you know, your, your groceries and your supplies from these shops, you probably, uh, most of them have uh, a trade because being a pastor just doesn't pay the bills. And so they're, you know, like one guy was a welder and saying, well, you're, you weld stuff, you make doors and gates for these Muslims. Are you sharing the gospel with them? And, or even just the church, how is the church meeting the needs of the community? And to, to openly say, I don't know what the needs are. Like you, you guys know what the needs in your community are not only are you evangelizing, but are you just showing up and trying to solve problems for your community? Are you showing this community and this culture that you care, that you want to be a part of the solution to whatever problems they have, whatever things are important in this culture? And are you actively being a part of meeting those needs to open the door for better relations? And so it was nice to, uh, to not only inspire them to maybe critically think about 
how they're reaching their neighbors and, and how they can do a better job of it, but also to just be humble and say, Hey, I don't know the answer. I don't know the needs like you do. Uh, if, if you guys come to come to me and my team with, with the needs and, and you need ideas of, of how to implement these, like, awesome. Like let, let's partner together. Let's get this stuff done. But, but I can, I can look at, you know, a village that maybe they all have share one water pump and there's not access to, to consistently clean water. And I can say, oh, well, we need to fix that. Where from their perspective, that might be, you know, 20th on the list of important things to fix. Huh. Yeah, that's so interesting. Being there in the community, showing that you care about uh, them with their community needs and I just, in my mind, I'm just drawing the contrast between the way things are here in, in the United States. I think that it's much more, people are much more isolated. There's much less community, you know, and, and maybe within certain groups of, of people, there is community. But from my perspective, especially in the last couple of years, that's really gone down a lot. And that whole community aspect, you know, there's so much opposition and division and I can't really think of what are the needs of the community because a lot of the needs of the community are, that's kind of in the mind of a lot of people. It's, well, the government takes care of that or that's what our taxes are for or there's someone will take care of that. And um, of course, it's good for churches to get involved in local communities. But I just see it's probably, I'm just getting the sense, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'm getting the sense that it's different there in a country like the one you're in, um, that community, the concept of community is, is much, much different. And it's much more, uh, community is much more healthy, you know, probably than it is in a Western country. Would you agree with that? Or what do you think about the differences there? Yeah, I think um, in my experience, not only the country I lived in, but also visiting other countries is that a lot of third world or developing countries, uh, they need that community because the government doesn't take care of them. Um, the government, um, for example, I, I was there during uh, the Corona outbreak and, you know, they're what they're, they did shut down uh, for a while schools and travel, but eventually the government just came out and said, Hey, if we don't open back up and get business going, get the economy going, people are going to starve because just to be frank, most countries can't afford to and aren't going to just start handing out money and resources. That's just not possible. And so it was really, it was almost refreshing that a government official just came out and said, Hey, we're opening back up. We're going to, he asked all Christians and Muslims to, to fast and pray. And he said, if people get sick, they can go to the doctor, but if they are going to starve, we can't help them. And it was, it just seemed very simple. And in the moment, in the moment, you kind of wonder, all right, is this the wisest choice? Like, I, I appreciate the boldness. I appreciate the directness. Um, and I, you know, I don't know the actual numbers and I guess the history books will tell us which countries and which, um, strategies worked best during this time, but it was, it was, it was really refreshing um, because, yeah, it's just the community needs to take care of each other. Um, you know, coming from America where 
over my lifetime, kids seem to have been sheltered more and more and more as far as just going, you know, going outside and running the streets and being, being out all night to you no, know, uh, the, pa- the parents are there all the time and interviewing people who are, who are with their kids and, um, you know, safety is priority one where you go over to a developing country where kids kind of run around the neighborhood, but everybody knows these kids. Everybody knows who the parents are. Everybody is, has free reign to speak life into these kids or to discipline them if needed. Um, and it's kind of expected that everyone will work together and take care of these kids, help mold them, help teach them. And, you know, when there's a need in the community, it's kind of the, it's almost the early church model of you have need here. Uh, I have this come, it's yours. You know, let, let's share this. We're in this together. Um, it's not quite that open where with everything, with money and, but with definitely with food, with clothing, with, um, watching kids. Uh, I've, I've, I saw many people over there watching other people's kids while they were at work for, and they weren't paid or anything it was just yeah. no I'm, I'm at home watching my kids so yeah send yours over yeah wow what and a difference. so it was yeah. yeah it was really beautiful to see um and then to think all right if if this was a christian community if this was if they were following jesus and and we're really sharing everything completely uh, you know how beautiful would this be i mean it, it already is beautiful but um yeah it's just a you know a lot of cultural differences we have to tell ourselves this things aren't right or wrong. It's just different. It's just a different way of doing things. And there's pros and cons to almost every difference. Yeah. Two things popped into my mind as you were explaining that. And one is how the early church and, and how um, it was, everyone was sharing with one another. And I often hear that. And I think, uh, wow, you know, how did they do that? Like, how would that work in, in modern times? And, you know, part of the answer, I think, is what you just said. In, in third world countries or in which is they're living much more similar to how people lived in ancient times. Right. So it lends yes. itself to that type of community. So on one hand, um, I'm thinking to myself, you know, we shouldn't expect to go back to that completely <laughs> in a, in a, in a country like the United States where technology and culture has just, it's so different. But in a culture like that, it just makes a lot of sense. And so I can see, to your point, it's a lot like the early church. And a lot of that is because of the uh, where they're at with their technology and just um, they're clo- living closer to the an- how ancient people lived. And then the other thing that popped into my head was um, how much we've lost. I mean, for how much we've gained in technology and uh uh, wealth. I mean, just think about how much we've lost. It, when you explain that, it sounds so good. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of things about living in that culture that aren't so great. Um, but that part of it sounds, you know, really, really good. And I just think about how much we've lost, even even since um, the 80s, like when we grew up, the community aspect was even much greater. You mentioned kids running around, um, and that's how it was back then, right? We could ride our bikes uptown. We could, we could uh, run around, stomp around with our friends all afternoon, and there wasn't really as much of a concern. And <clears throat> nowadays, um, it's just so much different, and and we're connected 
by these cell phones and a cell phone on your watch. I mean, you can always get a hold of each other, but really this technology is more like um, a leash that's just, it's, it's enslaving us in so many ways because we're just not free to enjoy life. And, and then, and then uh, the expectations of, of caring for, for one another then consequently have gone down. Um, and so you don't have that trust anymore. Like everyone expects that if there's a kid that does something, he, he should be disciplined or he needs something he should be cared for. You know, I would really encourage people if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking uh, you're interested by this, I would say go on a missions trip uh, if you can. Um, go on a week or two mission trip. I know it's tough nowadays with um, what's going on in the world, but uh, I think I have to believe that experiencing it and living around it is just so much different than even just hearing about it, you know, and it's life changing. I think, I mean, you mentioned it's life changing when you, when you, when you went on the mission trip initially, that's what got you into wanting to be a long-term missionary. Yes. And you know, when you talk about, um, you know, technology, um, it's, yeah, I, I, for me, I see technology as a, as a distraction. It uh, distracts a lot of people from from life. About um, community, it keeps helps keep them isolated. Um, yeah, kind of as a leash, kind of tethers them to their home. They people become homebodies, or just they they become kind of insulated in their small group because you have a cell phone or a computer. You can find people that believe and think the same way that you do. Um, and I think, yeah, you, you see, especially in the West, you see a lot of loss of that uh, critical thinking. And I guess from the government standpoint, you would call it the bipartisanship of working together with people who think differently than you do. And it's that was one huge thing I gained from from living over there. It's, um, you know, and one example is uh, at our school, we after our classes, we have a half hour discussion time where we put up a, a topic on the board and we have a discussion about it. And the rules are everyone has to talk and everyone speaks in English to the best of your ability. And so we have these small groups and the, we try to gear the discussions more towards um, ways that we can share our faith. And one of our discussions was about uh, should, what, what do you think is better? Um, a prearranged marriage or for you to choose your own spouse. And sitting next to me was a man who I'd gotten to know for four or five months, considered him a friend at our school, um, talked to him a few times outside of class, but really enjoyed his company at school. Come, uh, he, he starts in with a story about how when he was 19 years old, he chose his wife and he loves his wife and that she, she's a very good wife. But when he was 25, his mother chose his second wife. And in their culture, you can have up to four wives. Um, that's part of their religion, part of their culture. And he said, he says, um, when you're a young man, you don't know what you truly want. You think you know what you want. You think you know who you are. He said, but your parents really know what's best for you and know who you are at your heart. And my mother chose a very good wife for me. And I still love my first wife. We still have a great relationship. But my second wife that my mother chose is, is a lot better. 
And I was shocked because I didn't know my friend had two wives, that he was in a polygamous relationship, you know, something that in my mind was an idea out there and that's bad. And uh, I don't know anyone personally. And now here it's confronting me. It's, it's in my face. My friend sitting right next to me is in this relationship that I had this idea about. Not only that, but the things he's saying about a young man not truly knowing himself and what's best for him kind of rings true now that I'm in my 40s. And so now this this idea that I had that was black and white is now a lot more gray of, well, what do I really think about this? I had this idea about this thing that was bad, and now I'm in this culture where it's normal. And yeah, it's it's still not good for, for an American Christian, but does that mean it's 100% bad? Does that mean I need to tell them to repent of this or... You know, how, how do I go about this? And it was just, it's, it's wonderful to have that, that differing opinion, that different uh, cultural experience, and to really open your mind to, for more critical thinking. Yeah, that's really interesting, too, because um, well, there's so much there. So how, how do you deal with um, a converting him? So he becomes a Christian and got accommodated for the culture in the Old Testament for polygamy. Uh, in the church, you should have one wife. The man, sh- the the elder, should be the the husband of one wife. I think it says in First Timothy or somewhere. Um, so that leads me to kind of think about. Well, God also accommodates Christians in the sense of divorce and remarriage. So if you divorce and you remarry and then you become a Christian, let's say, should you divorce your your wife, because Jesus said divorce is a sin. Um, but no, God forgives and and uh, accommodates, and you move forward. So that kind of makes me wonder, how would that work if he converts to Christianity? Now he's got these two wives. Hopefully they convert to Christianity. Do they stay married? <laughs> how would you How would you advise them? You know, and and my personally, my thought, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but polygamy in in a Western country is very different from polygamy in a well, I should say a a Western pagan or um, non Christian post Christian context, maybe let's say, you know, polygamy where you've got open relationships and people live together of all different kinds. It's much more based in. uh, let's say lustful sin, I think, than it would be in necessarily in Islam. I have to believe it's more based on just like you said, the culture, um, their patriarchs do it, did it. It's less um, based on, there's still a, a really high morality the present. And so I, I look at that and I just think, well, would God accommodate for that? You know? How would God accommodate for that? Because God does accommodate for our weakness or an inability to live up to his complete standard. You know, and of course we sanctify and we gradually improve throughout our lives um, as far as becoming more like Christ. But wow, that's just a really, really interesting problem from so many angles. Like you said, you thought it was cut and dried on one angle and now you're sitting there. He's your buddy. 
and you're having to reconcile this. And how do I care about, love my friend in Christ and deal with this? It's cognitive dissonance. I mean, it's just, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great question um, that actually came up out of that is, okay. all right, we're, he's, this guy is at our school. We're trying to share the gospel with him. We're, we're trying to, to invite him to Bible studies. We're inviting him to our, our Christmas and Easter parties and, you know, trying to make this connection with this guy. Um, if he converts, what do we do about his marriage situation? Um, and in their culture, uh, in their culture, when you have multiple wives, that means you have multiple homes um, because they'll tell you it's not good to have two wives under the same roof. Um, yeah, I don't but think it's, that'd be it's, good. Oh, <laughs> yes, but Bad. but it's for a lot of people. It seems like having multiple families, multiple wives, is more of a status symbol. That mm. oh, I can afford multiple homes. I I'm successful. I have I have multiple wives with you know two two families of children, and look how successful I am. And it's um, that was my experience in this one culture. Um, so I'm sure it can be different around the world in different polygamous cultures. But the, when I, when I asked about, you know, what do we do? How do we disciple this guy in this area? Should he convert or should he start studying scriptures? And what I was told was that uh, early Christians in the region, when they would get converts, they would tell these guys with multiple wives, you need to divorce your second and third, or, you know, you, you stay with your first wife and that's your family. Well, the problem was that now Christianity had got a stigma of, oh, it breaks up families. And now these guys who convert, they're no longer caring for these wives and children that they once cared for. And that was a very negative um, association with Christianity. And so the church had to really rethink and say, yeah, they're absolutely right. We're not caring for for these people, for these family members, um, because it's not you know, it's the children, it's not their fault. They, they didn't decide to be involved in this. And so their stance right now, the, the church where I work, um, their stance is they advise people, no, th those, these are your wives. These are your responsibility. You're, you're responsible to take care of your wives and all of your children, but you're to teach them a better way. So moving forward, you disciple them and say, Hey, this is a mistake I made. I'm trying to teach you to a better way to live your life. And so it's that responsibility of, you know, we have this thing from our past that, that there are consequences for our past actions, even when we're saved. Don't um, repeat the same as the problem. God has forgiven. God loves us. God cares for us. Now moving forward, learn from this. Yeah, that's good. I think that's yeah. good, you know? Yeah. I, and I think that's good too, is that it shows, it shows compassion and caring and responsibility, but also, hey, uh, let's let's correct this moving forward, or, or there's a better way out there. And you know, even you know, you brought up the fact about you know, the Bible says multiple times, you know, God hates divorce and divorce is, is a sin. Um, but there's also plenty of examples in the Bible uh, of divorce, or where Moses tells men to, all right, give your give your wives a certificate of divorce if. If you're going to keep bugging me about it, just go do this. And I know me being uh, divorced before I got saved, I struggle with that even now, like, because my heart's desire is to someday be married. Um, 
But I, you know, I read Paul's letters and he says, well, it's better to be fully devoted to, to the Lord and that, that a single man can, can do things for the kingdom that a, a married man can't because of his marital and family responsibilities. And so that's something I kind of go back and forth on. And, you know, even when I, I mentioned that my ex-wife got saved uh, three years after I did, when I, when I bring up that fact, I usually get asked, oh, are you guys going to get back together? And that's something we've discussed. And we both said, you know, hey, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of, of hurt and there's been a lot of healing and forgiveness, but on our own, we're good where we're at. If God should lead us in that direction, we will, we will be obedient. We will follow him. And so that's kind of my default answer on that is, um, you know, I, I chose my wife previously. If, if God wants me to be married, I'll let him choose my wife next. Well, that's good to just, um, you know, put it in God's hands, I think. So now there's one thing I wanted to ask you is just a couple of questions. Um, well, three, mainly three questions. First, what were there any amazing or miraculous things that you've experienced on the mission field? Um, yeah. Um, well, so coming from the American culture where, um, growing up, you know, you'd hear about demon possession, about curses, about witchcraft. And these are, for the most part, these are all very foreign or ancient ideas that, oh, this is what people believed in, but that's not really true. And then you go to a culture um, where they're very open to spiritual matters. Um, there are people who practice witchcraft, uh, even, even when they're Islamic. They're, uh, they're what we call f uh, folk Islam, where they just put Islam on top of their ancestral worship or their their um, natural world worship. And different regions have these different versions of Islam based on what was there earlier, that Islam just got kind of plopped on top of this and they follow the Islamic rules. But underneath, there's a lot of practices that are very ancient from, from these cultures. And so there's a lot of witchcraft in the region that I work in. And so to see someone, um, the school, at, we're at the school and there was a woman uh, during our conversation time, she kind of seized up and went very straight. And students are telling you, hey, she has a demon. She she has an evil spirit. We need to get her, her out of here. And, we, and the first thought through your head is, I'm seeing this, I believe what I'm seeing, but I don't know that I truly believe their explanation. And just because it's such a foreign uh, thing to, you know, where they're treating it like it's a normal everyday thing. And it's such a foreign concept to most Americans. And so it's just kind of, all right, what do we need to do? What, like, all right, we need to, we need to make sure that they're breathing and, you know, like get them safe. We, we got them to a car so that someone could drive them to, to their family and get, get them cared for. And it was just like, what just happened? Um, there was, there was a young lady, uh, who became a friend of our team. Um, she, at the time she was 17 years old, she was going to school and, uh, their school is very competitive. Uh, the top, so many students, um, basically at what's our grade 10, our 10th grade, the top students get to move on to go to their advanced 
levels of 11th and 12th grade, and then eventually college or uh, university should should they should they want to. But so it's very competitive, and you know it's kind of the old kind of old movies or old TV shows where the grades come out and they post them. You know, they post them for everyone to see. Like, so everyone knows the ranking. Everyone knows where everyone else is at. Um, this young lady was at one of the top of her class. And all of a sudden, the start of this this 10th grade school year that really matters for getting into advanced classes. Every time she goes to school, she had pain in her right leg and she had severe migraines every time she would enter. So she would get sent home. Eventually, after a few weeks, her parents just kept kept her home from school um, so one of our converts used to be a teacher of hers and the family reached out to him and asked if he could come over and pray. And this is a, this is a Muslim family. Um, but you, you see when people are really in trouble, when they really, you know, when they have a, a, their daughter that they care about, they're willing to do anything to help her. And so they reached out for prayer. Uh, my friend asked me to come with, we went over, this family knows that we're Christians. They know I'm an American. We're, you know, we're adult men and they're asking us to come into their house and pray over their, their teenage daughter. And so we explained everything. We explained Jesus. We presented the gospel to her. We said that the Bible tells us to lay hands on and pray in Jesus name that we ourselves have no power. It's all from Jesus. We are just following. We're being obedient to the example that was set in, in scripture. Do you accept this? Do you accept that Jesus can heal you? Do you want this healing? Will you allow us uh, in, in this Islamic culture where men and women really don't touch and women are all covered? Will you allow us to, to lay hands on you and to pray in Jesus name over you? And she, she said, yes, she accepted. Um, we prayed. Now, she wasn't experiencing any of these symptoms outside of school. So we didn't see anything in the, in the immediate. Uh, a couple of days later, I got a call from my friend and said, yeah, this, this woman, this, this young lady, she went back to school. She has zero problems. She's 100% healthy. Hmm. And then, wow. so we returned, we, we visited, we, we re-explain the gospel. Like, okay, now do you, like, who healed you and why, you know, why did he heal you? You know, the, the blood that he shed on the cross 2000 years ago, that's, that's what heals us. That's what, what washes us clean. And so we presented her with a Bible um, in, in her language. I was actually in English and the local language. And um, yeah, she started reading couple, I think a week later, I just really felt the spirit urging me to go visit. And because it's a young woman, I wasn't going to go on my own uh, because of cultural implications, cultural norms. So I, I brought another member of our team. So another, another American with me. And I said, Hey, I, I want you to, my, my team had known about this story. I said, Hey, I, I want more people on my team to get to know this young lady. So, so me and another person went Un uninvited, just unannounced. I just felt the spirit leading me there. We, we get there. The family greets us and welcomes us with open arms, ushers us into their home. Uh, this young lady says, I'm so glad you came. You'll never believe what happened last night. And so we, 
she, she tells a story. Um, she's the oldest in her family. The youngest is uh, her young brother is like six months old. You know, they have large families a lot and they, they to be spread out over 20 years is, is normal uh, for the children. And she said, she said, my young brother, he had a fever. He was crying. He didn't want to eat. He wouldn't sleep. My mother was extremely tired. Uh, she didn't know what to do. She was very worried. Uh, and there's just not good medical care. I mean, people go to the the doctor or go to the hospital, but it's, it's just not the, the same level of medical care that we're used to. And so this young lady, she said, I walked over, I put my hand on my brother's head. I prayed in Jesus name for him to be healed. He, he got quiet. He went to sleep. My mother put him to bed. The next morning, my mother woke me up saying, what did you do? And she said, why? What happened? She said, he's fine. His fever's gone. He's happy. He's eating. There's no sign whatsoever that he had a bad fever yesterday, that he was extremely sick. And her response was, I did nothing. I only prayed Jesus healed him. And that, that was, it was, it was almost like a parent being proud of your kid. Like I was yeah. just so proud of this young lady that you like this worked for you. You followed that example. Yeah. You give all glory to the Lord. Yeah. Like this is this is the way it's supposed to be, and yeah. that just gave us the open door to continue to share the gospel with her and her family. Um, mm -hmm. As of, that's beautiful. Yeah, Mitch, I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing your experiences and your stories. Uh, I know that there'll be people who will really. Um, find this interesting and I hope that it resonates with some people and maybe even uh, it, it, it generates enough interest that you might have some individuals want to get involved in missions somehow. Um, so before we close it out, uh, I'd like to just give you an opportunity to let people know, A, how can they support you in your mission? And B, um, how can they get involved in whatever form that might be temporary missions, full-time missions, just giving? Well, yeah. Um, so Jesus, before he left, he, he said to go and make disciples of all the world. And he, he didn't say some of you, he said, everyone, uh, he, that was, you know, he, he said, everyone go. And so I think there's, in, in my perspective, there's three aspects of missions. There's going, there's praying, and there's giving. And I think we're all called to do all three. Now, some of us are called to go across the street, you know, go to your business, go to your neighbors, go to your family, uh, share the gospel wherever you are. Some of us are called to do more um, inner city missions or, you know, to reach, you know, like in Minneapolis, there's a large Somali community. Maybe some people are called to work with them and to, that's your mission field. And, you know, others are called to go to, all, all around the world, to different countries, um, different regions. Um, so we can all go. Uh, we can all pray. Uh, we can all pray for unreached people groups. We can all pray for missionaries. We can pray for missions. We can pray for the people who are persecuted. Uh, and we can pray for the persecutors because uh, persecution isn't going to stop until the persecutors themselves are converted, um, until they come to know the Lord. And then the third aspect is giving. And um, everyone is called to give, I believe, to to the furthering of the kingdom. Um, 
So, so whatever, if that looks like giving to a missions organization giving to a church, giving to uh, a local, you know, like in Shakopee, we have a, here we have the Shakopee community assistance that gives clothing and food to, to needy people in our own neighborhood. Um, we, we can all give at some level. And so I think that's, that's what we're all called to do. Um, yeah, if people have interest in foreign missions, yeah, uh, any local church um, can probably get you connected with, if, if they don't themselves do short-term trips, they can probably get you connected with an organization that does. Um, I know there are, there are organizations like, like Venture that, that does a lot of fundraising for, for short-term uh, missions and projects, or uh, I know another one, uh, Lift Up, they do a lot of fundraising for things like that. I don't know if that one necessarily does trips, but yeah, there are, I think there are many opportunities if you look for them to go. And even if you don't know the, the church, the organization, it's a great opportunity to, to spend your vacation with like-minded people doing good in the world and expanding your own experience. Um, as far as myself, I, I would greatly appreciate any prayer and really just praying for this unreached people group, uh, unreached people groups around the world. Um, I don't know if you can put, put up the, the website to my giving page in your show notes, that, that would be, that would be awesome. Um, and yeah, you also feel free to put up my, my number or email. And, um, I just, I tell everyone, if you want to know more about missions, if you want to know about my story or my, my calling, or if you have your own questions, your own calling, and you just want to chat, I'm, I'm, I'm open, um, Part of what we do when we return to America is we're advocating for missions. You know, I'm here fundraising to get back to the field, but my main job is to advocate for missions, to advocate for people to give, to pray, and to go. Um, we're, we're raising people, we're raising friends, we're, you know, to, you can kind of focus on raising the funds a lot of the time, but we're really advocating and, and getting the awareness out there for the need. That's great. Okay, awesome. Well, let me pray for you. And if people watching this would like to pray along, that'd be great. When this airs, <clears throat> Mitch may or may not be still in the States or back in Africa. So we'll just uh, pray for all of it for you right now. God, okay. thank you for Mitch. Thank you for calling him into this uh, missionary calling. Thank you for putting it on his heart to reach people. Thank you for uh, giving him the experiences you have, teaching him the lessons that you have, um, and uh, having the impact through through your Holy Spirit that he's had uh, in the country that he is a missionary to, um, and on the individuals that he's had an impact on. And um, God, I pray that you continue to bless Mitch, to bless his organization, to work through the Holy Spirit to reach many more uh, people in his community to uh, grow that church uh, to a great degree to um, show miracles whatever you need to show these people friendships care um, miracles uh, love you know intellectual understanding uh, whatever it is that they need, dreams, visions, whatever they need in order to see the truth of who you are, Jesus, uh, please let that 
power go out and, and let that be. Have many people come to you, uh, as many as possible through Mitch and through the people that he's investing in, through leaders uh, there locally in the country uh, in order to accomplish your command, Lord Jesus, of um, the Great Commission, which is making disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Mitch.